0: So, so, Ali, you, if I'm not mistaken, you have a master's, in, or a degree, a degree in sports science and coaching, correct? Correct, yeah, yeah. So, so, did you know you wanted to be a coach while you were entering university?
1: That's a good question. Um, I spent my summers coming over and coaching camps like a lot of British people do. I think there's a, there's a company called Challenger. They bring about yeah. 1,100 coaches. That's actually where I met Mark Duffield, one of our mutual friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I came out and it was a great experience in San Diego for six weeks, went back to school, uh, started to coach a little bit. And then, yeah, came back to it again every summer and then ended up working in New Jersey for a year and just kind of grew on me from there. Um, I specialised in coaching. So my degree was in sports science, which is people used to make fun of it as like a, like a degree if you didn't know what you wanted to do. Interesting like sociology but then it'd be sports sociology and it'd be like psychology you get sports psychology so you get a little right. bit of everything um, and one of them was coaching and uh yeah it was it was great i i, I liked it i liked working with the students i actually coached my you. i was 15 in, in high school in, in senior secondary school and i coached the 10 year olds so i kind of oh, got. Wow. it was actually to get out of maths to be honest but uh, <laughs> I just I enjoyed doing it then and it, it just grew from there really
0: yeah and so you know I'm curious as to what they because I feel like coaching is something you just have to learn by actually doing so I'm curious to hear what they or if you learned anything in school or was you know was you be, were you becoming a coach kind of outside of school and that's where you kind you learn everything
1: yeah both I think you learn the the theories right like sport pedagogy was probably my favorite favorite seminar in, um, on sports coaching, but you definitely learn by doing me and Jack started the academy player, Jack Costello, about two and a half, three years ago, almost. And
0: oh, wow, it grew Jack, that fast.
1: Jack started, he had, he coached his under his brother's team. I think he was like 20 and his brother's team was like 14 and he coached them all the way up to U 16. They won a county tournament on his own. And then a few of them have signed pro after. And um, he didn't do licenses or anything like that. He just learned by doing and grafting. And yeah, he, de- he learned by doing. And I think similar to the coaching education courses, I don't necessarily think you learn a lot. I didn't learn a lot tactically from those courses, but I learned how to design a session and I learned the importance of Quick critiquing like being able to get mm. your information across quickly because that's what they're kind of evaluating you on
0: right um, right but no, it, I, yeah no i was gonna say that's that's a great point because i feel like sometimes a lot of coaches get in like get sidetracked and just hearing themselves talk when you know and I, like i've done it to myself where i just like explain something and then after i'm done explaining i'm like i just explained the same thing in three different ways i'm like should i should have just said it in one and just moved on but oh, for so sure. i think that's yeah
1: are you a for b license we so it was quite eye-opening, like for me too. But some coaches, they'd find, they'd, they'd they'd go in, make a coaching point, come out. And then the instructor would be like, how long do you think you're in there for? And they're like, I oh, don't know, 15, 20 seconds. And they're like, you're in there for a minute and a half. Right. And you, and you just, you just don't know. It's yeah. Right, it's quite eye-opening that point. And the play, you've been the player. Like when the coach comes in and does those two, three minute things, you just like...
0: I fall asleep. <laughs>
1: exactly. And even if the information is yeah. perfect, right? You just, right. Just, that's why drive-by coaching is quite attractive right now, right? Like little points here and there quickly to get the, get the game going.
0: Right, um, but definitely right.
1: learn by doing. I think I got to San Diego. I was 18 years old. I was given the little kickers, which basically means they're three, right? Right, right. Barely walk. And I had a, little, I had a coaching manual, and it was like, go. And then there was 10 <laughs> three-year-olds running around. And Obviously, that's not coaching. That's babysitting. But right. With a ball involved. And you're like, okay, good luck. Well done. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, that, yeah.
0: No, um. so you mentioned the academy player. So what, you know, why did you and Jack decide to start the academy player? What was the hope behind that? So again, I, I lost you. So, so why, why did you and Jack decide to start the academy player three years ago? You know, what was the hope in in that? I'm sure I don't know in three years that you saw it to to grow to where it'd be now, but what was the hope in, in that?
1: Yeah, we so we started a preseason jackson he's a very driven hard working like if you could pick someone to work with like that's the guy mm-hmm. right there and i think i helped from a tactical standpoint i had access to different players i was so to kind of give you a background i came to the states coached then i went back to england and i took over at my alma mater uh brunel so i was a head coach at my old school right age, 24. Co- we- coach of the year
0: as well right don't forget I'll mention that, <laughs> Yeah. Good. Luck. guys, he was coach of the year, coach of the year, 2016.
1: Um, and uh, I had access to some good players, like university football in England is so different to here, like it's very, it's very different in terms of you've 16, you get a squeeze put on you if you're gonna, if you wanna go down that route or this route. And then if you're playing at university, it's very rare that you're gonna play pro.
0: Mm-hmm. We
1: had a couple of players in our team who have now gone on to play professionally, at um, the university team. So we started working with them one on one, and then we had this player. uh, I'm sure what Mummy's saying called Sam Barrett, who was a left winger playing in the Conference South. Best left foot I've ever seen, unbelievable. And he was playing week in and week out. And I asked him what kind of training he did. He was a left winger, and he was like, "Well, uh, the club he was at, which I won't mention, he was. uh, (laughs) They did five sides for an hour, Tuesday and Thursday. That was it on turf." Wow. So I was like, so when do you practice like, you know, going on the outside cutting or all this kind of stuff? He's like, I don't. So I was like, I got all passionate about it. And I downloaded his games. So I, I have a bit of a background in football analysis. So I downloaded his games, cut them to sh- and, and found what he did in each game and patterns. And then I would design drills for specifically him. So wow. then he would come, me and Jack would work with him. And then it built from there. And he yeah south end he, he got bought by south end uh, not long after a terrific talent he's at south end right now
0: uh, right wow that, that you know it's a, it's just a simple thing it's just finding a need doing it and you know and following your passion with it so that's that's phenomenal and that you know i really love that you actually analyzed his game and you you catered it specifically to the needs of a player instead of just doing you know, 18 different touches, go through a ladder, jump over a hurdle, head the ball and shoot it, you know, when... And...
1: Yeah, it's tough. Do you know yeah. what, like, I, I, I pride myself on being able to help individuals where possible, but it's tough. Like, if, you, like if, if you're doing a, a counter-attacking drill, are you helping your centre-back get better in the air from set-pieces? Like, there's so many different things where they need that individual attention. So, right. it was easy. So, we started off with Sam and then a Boo who's an unbelievable talent. Um, he's, and he's kind of the reason I'm actually in the States, really, if I'm passing credit on to people. He, um, he scored 20 goals in the Conference South. He was at university. Uh, he called me. I was at University of Charleston at the time. It was transfer mm-hmm. deadline day. Everyone in England's favorite day. <laughs> and, uh, he'd scored this wonder goal the day before, and it was on 4-3-3. It had, like, 4.5 million views. Ronaldo commented on it. it, was, like, it was It was cool. Mm-hmm. Wow. And he called me and he was like, I've had two bids. Uh, Wigan have bid for me and they're going to loan me back. And Shrewsbury have bid for me. And uh, every, once a month, I'm, I'm good for a good bit of information. And uh, I said to him, I was like, well, from the sound of it, you can either be a Wigan, you can either say you, you're, you're a Wigan player or you could actually play for Shrewsbury because they actually want you mm, to play. Right. And Wigan were first in League One and Shrewsbury were second. Fast forward. They let him have, he was in his last year of university, too. Pride and joy, that lad. And he, he, requ- they got to the playoffs, and he requested to miss a couple of training sessions. He had his exams, because his mum and dad wanted him to graduate with biomedical engineering as well, by the way. <laughs> wow. And wow, yeah. He was playing week in and week out, and I think our season had finished. I'd flown home to watch Shrewsbury play, I think it was Barnsley or Charlton, in the, cup, the semi-final. Mm. My dad came, it was really cool, We had dinner with a boo afterwards. And he was on the bench because he missed it because of the exams. They won and then they played at Wembley and then they lost in the final. So he was, he's this close from being a championship footballer from League 5 or 6. Wow. Six, and he graduates with a degree. Like it's that, those kind of individual stories is why we did it. And it's right. it's, its easy too, right, because we're scrolling down and every week on week we get more players, right? So we had right. a champ, then we had a player in the Premier League and then we have a player in, league one and then more and more companies because they they get that detail and they get that kind mm-hmm. of attention so then when you're looking at how they're doing i don't care i mean i do care if shrewsbury won that season but like, i'm just looking like did a boo play then i'm trying to download his game can i watch it? right like, down, did Sam play for something can we watch that like did Priestley play it no like you just care about those individuals you don't right. care about the rest which is which is really cool but it gave me a fix because i had a team i cared about and then it was nice to just care about individuals.
0: Right, right. Absolutely. That's amazing. So mm-hmm. what ended up causing you to decide to to move back to the States to start coaching at Charleston? Which, so for those of you who don't know, Ali was on the coaching staff of the year, two years in a row at two different schools. But we'll get there. But um, so you're at Charleston. What was that decision like to to come back to the States?
1: Okay. So I always wanted to do college coaching. I love the idea. I taught for a little bit. In uh, in England, I love the idea of being able to help players from an academic standpoint and playing, and they're in a safe environment. Like some of the players yeah. we've got at sitting who have played at a very high level in different countries. But you know, you're going from contract to contract, and you and you get—is your contract going to get renewed? What am I going to do next year? You get rejected from club to club, whereas. Once they come here, it's like a four-year investment. Like, Here's your education, right. we still want you to play. You, the facilities, you have access to become the best player that you can be. But by the way, you're in a safe place and, you're, and academics matter. And I've always wanted to be involved with that. So actually, speaking of Boo and Priestley, it was 2016, end of 2016, I asked them to go to a showcase. Uh, I've got a friend who uh, runs a company called Future Elite Sports and uh, I sent him. So I was head of coach Brunel sent Abu and Priestley to this showcase game. They went. My phone started blowing up, <laughs> blowing up like people were calling. People wanted to take me out for lunch. They wanted to take me out for dinner because I didn't gauge the level. But Abu is was who tore it up. He was right. he was offered a substantial amount of Division One scholarships and Division Two mm-hmm. scholarships. Pick where he wanted to go, really. Um, and from there. I was in touch with an assistant coach called Andy Wright, who's at WVU. Great coach, great person too. And um, he wanted to come watch this player. And he was like, do you mind if I bring Dan Stratford with me? He's a friend. He's an assistant at University of Charleston. No worries. Met him. And then me and Stratz, we arranged to get lunch together at like 12 o'clock in London. He was there seeing his family. We were at lunch for seven and a half hours. Um, <laughs> he, was Why he was desperate to recruit Abu and Priestley. And we start talking and then from there he uh the head coach they they just lost in the national finals 2016. chris grassy got the marshall job who obviously had an unbelievable year last mm-hmm. year. uh then stratford went up to become the the head coach he hired my one of my best friends scott wells who i coached with in north carolina in 2011 2011. we'd stayed in wow. town. small world right Every <laughs> right thanks in right See, hi scott and he says, "What do you think? Uh, come do a good job here. We're a good program." And at this point, I don't know the difference between Division One to Division right, Two. Right, right. He told me Charleston were good, but I was like, <laughs> "I assume everyone says that, right?" And then get there, and one of the greatest seasons seasons I've ever had. I mean, yeah. Dan Stratton, one, one of the best I've ever come across. Scott Wells is an incredible recruiter. We had Romain Fultz, who was a A license UEFA A licensed GA. Daniel Smee as the other GA, who is now the head coach of Charleston and also a fantastic coach. And then I was the second assistant. So it was a staff of five of us. And it wow. was just, <laughs> it was awesome. All between the age of 27, 20, 28 and 32, and just hungry.
0: So what what do you think it was? I mean, other than the, the amazing coaches, but you no, know, what do you think it, you know, how did you guys Relay your philosophy and your values and your coaching styles to the players. To what go like twenty-one and one or something at that year?
1: Yeah. Um, before we went in in the spring, they they toyed with like a three-four-three. Uh, Strauss wanted to try it. So then he made us all watch different Chelsea. It was very sexy at the time. Chelsea and Tottenham were playing mm-hmm. that year in the Prem. Slightly different styles of it. And Tottenham played a little bit narrower with uh, Son and Ericsson, Ali and Eriksson. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I was in charge of the, the role of the wing back so I watched about 10 games Chelsea Tottenham of the wing back just focusing on what they do in each moment and someone else had center midfielders someone else had center backs wow and then we'd put together the videos send them to the players um
0: this is all in the spring
1: right you said in the spring before we started and then yeah the, the, it's an exceptionally run program I mean they've mm-hmm. been what in the final four right. five so the, of the last what, years? Yeah, uh, and it's it's so it's a machine from that standpoint. But I would be doing a bit of a disservice to how good Chris Gracie, Strauss, mm-hmm. and all the coaching staff do a job there. I mean, they don't take any games off. They have a they have a development side. It's about 65 70 players there, so we have a development side. All the right. coaches are mandated to go to those sessions. All wow. the development sessions, they wear VX vests. All their games are analyzed. All their games, like, it's, it's a professional machine. Right. Um, and it's so, a lot of advice for me, or of my eyes, to how a program should be run. Yeah.
0: So so you guys are watching over these, these tapes and then sending them to the guys, and what's their response? Like, did you feel, yeah, did you feel kind of like, wow, these guys really care about us and our development as players? Because, like, at least for me, it's like, I feel, I mean, that, that's phenomenal I think that's a great idea to help keep players involved um and so I, I don't think it's done often enough to where like these kids don't understand that sense of belonging like you guys really care about them enough to watch 10 to 12 of these different games focused specifically on their position and so what were like your biggest findings from those tapes and relaying them to the guys like did you was it successful in the season
1: Yes. I mean, they were very willing and it was done in a very efficient manner um, where they knew you cared. And honestly, that's the, that's the, the main part of coaching, if I could like. Mm. The players that I work with, I think they genuinely know I care. I really do care. And like the, the players you recruit, the players you work with, uh, the, the current head coach at Seton Hall, Coach Lindbergh, he was best man at one of his players' weddings. Like, wow. That's, Right, so that's the kind of relationships that you want to be part of. Um, but I think, yeah, once the players can tell that you care, genuinely care. like I mean, there's a difference. You have to genuinely mm-hmm. care about their well-being as a person, making them a better player. Then they're bought in. I think that's the kind of key part to it. Um, so from that standpoint, we did care and it's mutually exclusive, right? We wanted to win too, and we do care right. <laughs> it helps if they're on the same page. Yeah, it, it, it's a
0: win-win, you know, you guys really care. They understand that. And in turn, they play their best football and everyone's happy because everyone's winning. But um, so now, so you, you stay at Charleston for a year, win the national championship. You say, all right, I'm out of here. You head down to Florida at Barry, where again, you win the national championship. So what was the decision to leave and... What were the similarities in those coaching staffs, in your styles, if there were any?
1: Uh, so Coach McCrath was at Barry for 20 years. My old, the old head, the head coach at Barry right now. Uh, wonderful man. He, Why did I leave? I was in... What, was it
0: the weather and the area Barry's located in?
1: <laughs> no, honestly, I do live anywhere. Honestly, I don't mind where I live. I, it was always a short-term thing at Charleston. Um, mm-hmm. From a professional standpoint, being part-time there, And the way that kind of Strats pitched it was, come do a good job and I'll help you move on. Now, I actually applied for the Barry position and I wasn't sure and I didn't hear anything. And then Scott, the one I refer to who's at UNC Greensboro now, he calls him and just says, you know, you should take a look at this guy. Just maybe just have a conversation. And we're at the convention and we were getting, I think we were getting regional staff of the year and Coach McCraft was handing it out bad my my neck right right so he was like do you want to have breakfast so we went and had we went and had breakfast uh, and then like he was like i've got a meeting but do you want to meet again in an hour after this so i was like oh that's quite a good sign um and then i was in i was i was in spain recruiting um with coach Lindbergh, who is now my boss as well and he actually wrote me a <laughs> reference letter for barry oh um, wow and we met each other in the Elite Eight game, which Charleston played P- liu Post that year, and he was okay. LAU Post. So that's actually how we met in 2017. Look at that. So cr- crazy, that's right? Crazy, so, yeah. <laughs> um, and I did a pros and cons. Scott will never let me forget. I did a pros and cons in Applebee's, Charleston, West Virginia. <laughs> and uh, it was just a chance to kind of prove yourself a little bit, really. Barry had a bad season the year before. Um, as you said, wonderful location. Mm. And a great conference with some really strong programs inside. Yeah, yeah,
0: it. yeah. And, and, like, the weird thing about Florida is not to be sidetracked, but it's, like, there's really no Division Three schools down there, right? Oh, like, it's either, like, Division One or Division Two, and Division One's really, you know, university. Or big, I don't even know that. Yeah, US, the big yeah, schools, right? UCF, Mass, yeah.
1: USF, Stetson, right. um, FIU, FAU, some big programs down there. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting from the recruiting standpoint. So bear in mind, in terms of recruiting, at Charleston, I didn't do anything. Like, I right. got there when the season started. So, right. that's all Strats, me, Remain, Chris Grassy, Scott Wells, right? So, when I get to Barry, it's my first taste of being able to recruit. And, and and Coach McCraft really put a lot of faith in me in terms of allowing me to be really involved in recruiting those, in, in being, playing mm-hmm. a big part. And we recruited 10 players, brought in 10 new players that year to combine with the already decent squad we had. And it was awesome. Like it was so, side story. We had uh, some scholarship money become available late in July and uh, we needed a left back. And my captain at Brunel was a gentleman called Jack Parker, had just graduated. And he was, he was about to become a teaching assistant, Mm. but the next day, I think he accepted the job as a teaching assistant. And I called him and I was like, do you want to be a teacher? And he was like, no, (laughs) <laughs> okay, so why are you being a teaching assistant? He was like, I don't know. I was like, take your GMAT, come get your MBA at Barry, we'll take care of your tuition, and I promise you won't regret it. He turned up at our second preseason game, him and another Italian called Lorenzo, with their suitcases sat <laughs> in the 105 Fahrenheit, whatever it was. Right. And then, yeah, he, he played. He got himself into the team. He had a great season. Uh, he captained it this year. He graduates with his NBA next month. Wow. Uh, yeah, awesome. Just like it, Little things like mm-hmm. that would be very cool. Um,
0: so, yeah. So, I mean, so what – now, you weren't doing the same thing, or did you bring that idea of let's watch these Premier League, Premier League games send the tapes to the guys? Or, like, you know, what – how did you get this group of players now coming off a bad year to to buy into – you know, you're a new coach. The head coach, I think, was the same at the time. But, yeah, you know, yeah. how did you get that type of buy-in or, or investment from those guys um, after poor performance last season?
1: Well, we brought a lot of fresh players in, um, mm-hmm. good players, who didn't really have – they didn't need to have that kind of wake-up call. Because as far as they're coming in, they're living the dream. Like, they're coming right. in Miami, happy days, the field, by the way. I think Real Madrid trained on it the week before we started. Like, and the boys wow. – they see that. It's, like, it's mm. a pretty good start. And then we did a lot in terms of bringing the team together. Uh, we, did this, we did it at seating Hall this year as well, where they do a PowerPoint presentation at the beginning. It's like an icebreaker with a little bit more depth to it. So every player, staff included, so we went first. Staff included, they have to say their name and where they're from. Uh, tell them about their family their best friend and why they that why that person is their best friend biggest moment of adversity in their life the thing they're most proud of and then why they're at the program and it's an amazing thing i would recommend i would recommend all, all programs to try it's such an icebreaker because the biggest moment of adversity is a real key one. Like what? Right. What are? You, how far are you willing to go? Like how vulnerable are you willing to be in front of twenty five strangers? Right. And I mean, you have but, to be tactical with it.
0: And but that uh, no, I think that's very important. You know, something we did when I was coaching at St. Mary. Something we did was actually uh, brought to us by a kid who graduated from St. Benedict's. Okay. Um, they 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 would walk around with with tennis balls, and on the tennis balls they wrote the three most or three words that meant the most to them. Um, you know, whether it be like family, a lot of people with family, you know, most people put soccer, but either way, we all sat in the locker room, we shared those three things and why they're so meaningful to us. And the first year we did it, actually, I think we won the conference championship our second one in program history. And I don't know if that was the reason, but you, you felt something more, you know, it's like, you know, a lot of teams will say family and the cheer, but it's, What are you really saying when you say that word, you know, and you know, something like that, like the PowerPoint or a tennis ball or whatever it may be, um, you know, brings the team together. And then, of of course, the coaches are involved, too. So now it shows some vulnerability from the coaching side. And I think that creates a whole nice buy in and that family feel um, that you need for a team right
1: you're willing to put yourself out there and and it's not a, it's not a weakness to do it and i think that that's that's it's that safe place they just players want to be in a safe place like if you they, they want to be able to make mistakes within reason by not on purpose or anything like that right they, right they want the freedom to make mistakes and know that they're cared about and again if you're in an environment like that you're doing okay and one thing i will say as well uh, coach mccraft wanted to uh, have a book that all the players read Book called legacy i'm sure you oh ready. my goodness, thank yeah. you, <laughs> so every single player had to buy that hard copy right now some of the boys you know some go through the motions, internationals too aren 't the easiest sometimes new like new new uh new environment that kind of thing and mm-hmm. the 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 moment I knew it that some of it had registered was sweep in the sheds part
0: yeah the very, the very first one
1: sweep in the shed i think and it was it was the it was the national final. We just beat Westchester, 2-1. Sorry, Gyler, who's the assistant now, <laughs> he hates it. And uh, they're celebrating. Now, the way that the national finals work, I've seen it happen twice now, luckily, I should say, but it's a quick turnaround. Too quick, like, right. really get a chance to celebrate because the next game's on. That, right, right. And the boys are celebrating, obviously, like, great moment of the college career. <laughs> Head coach, first like 21 years. I think his first year, they I believe they lost in the national final. And then, oh wow, this is his next time I'm back. They're 21 years later, right? And but, but they're kind of like, you know, you need to get off. The women are about to start. And I'm there, like the boys are celebrating happy days. I'm clearing the bench, making sure the tape and we, we're clean. And next to me, I didn't even see it for the first couple minutes. Two captains are next to me, like one of them's picking up trash, one of them's making sure the bags are there. And that's, that's the moment when I was like, that's pretty cool. Like, you right. start off as a little bit, oh, your boys leave it better than you've been it before and all that kind of stuff. But to see it in that moment when, when, the, when there's every right, they have every right to go and right. <laughs> But like the fact that they were there, Steven Kozmala, Marco Sordi, who saved like 14 penalties that year, by the way, two in one game. Um, wow. Yeah, it was just very, it was, mm. that was very cool. And, it was, and that was a cool thing to bring us together. It's a cool book. Um, lots of cool messages in there, and uh it, it was a fairy tale year. It really was a fairy tale year. I mean, some of the styles aligned for us for sure. Right. I'm not going to take anything away from us, but Young Harris that year were an exceptional program, and they lost to Land us in the Sweet Sixteen. So we played lander mm-hmm. who we had a bit of a better matchup for. We we could play around them a little bit. Right. And so Charleston lose to Westchester. Which is an, an outstanding achievement for Westchester, which yeah, yep. power as Charleston. So we didn't have to put, didn't have to see Charleston, which would have kind of been a dream for me, Barry Charleston in the final. But yeah, it was a, it was an it was an amazing year, um, and I was expecting to be at Barry for longer.
0: And then, so
1: so I, I want to go
0: back and touch. So what, as you're coming into this these assistant coaching roles at very highly talented Division Two schools, what, what did you feel your role was? You know, what is the role of an assistant in this scenario?
1: My role, arrogantly, I want to be the best assistant that, that head coach has had. Right. And that means changing, right? Like, at uh, 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 Charleston, Strats runs a lot of the infields coaching sessions. Like, he's, you know, young, enthusiastic, also very good at it. So, mm-hmm. there's not such a need for his four assistants to do a <laughs> <laughs> more voices there, right? I mean, don't we still, we'd spend, similar to, to John Wooden, right? We would spend an hour doing training prep, or an hour and a half doing training prep. All of right. us had equal ideas, and it was, it was great. You were involved. But when it came to on the field in that moment, like, it was pretty clear who the head coach was. Right. And then... But Barry, I was given more. He said, "I want you to do more on-field stuff. Like, mm. I want you to develop on the field, and I want you to take take reins on it." And okay, right. And then he was like, I've, "You've got a good eye. You came from Charleston, and I want you to do a lot of the recruiting as well, and, and help with that, and have a big say in that." And so I got a lot from that standpoint, and also thriving right now under like a, a, a wonderful coach, like the head coach. Right. I've been very lucky with head coaches. It was actually one of my biggest worries. So,
0: so speaking of head coaches, so, you know, a lot of times, you know, when coaches are interviewing you as the assistant, you have to interview them as oh, well. No. So, what, so what are you looking for in, a, in your head coach? You know, I know you knew the one at Charleston, but Barry, it seems like you didn't really know, and, and the, your current head coach now, it's like, you know, what do you look for in a head coach?
1: Similar to the, how I, I, hope, I think the players are, I want mm. them to care genuinely care about me as a person on and off the field like that's that's a big factor i've seen i've had some coaching roles prior to college where i'm aware that i'm being not used i'm doing my job like yeah. at the end of the day i get hired to do a job you do your job right a situation where they care about you and then the other assistant jeff mateo at seton hall like what a guy that person like what a guy he is mm-hmm. like it's i i've worked two of my best friends and right that's very lucky. I don't think a lot of people have what what I have in that respect. So, you want it to be someone that you can kind of get on with. You know, someone that you can have, and this is the hard part. You don't know when the going gets tough, or when you have a strong opinion. Because I can be quite stubborn sometimes. <laughs> and at the end of the day, head coach rules, and I'm I'm, I'm, right. I'm better at that. But you have to know that your your opinion will be heard. So. Again, I consider myself very lucky. I went to Charleston, West Virginia for Dan Stratford, not necessarily the program. I knew that. I knew he was big time. Like, you could just tell the way he's articulate. Again, if you're in the Pittsburgh area, they've got a goalkeeper coach, Nick Noble. I would, I think, how far is WVU? Three, four hours?
0: No, not even an hour, hour and a half.
1: Hour and a half. If you're an aspiring coach, and obviously reach out to him first, but. I would recommend go and watch go and watch that go and have your go have your opinion changed because and also you can ask them. you even go just watch a training session if they let I'm sure he would but you go and you just ask can I see the planning behind it like it's for yeah. those young who want to see that that's that's what it kind of takes and then at Barry I got lucky because I didn't know the head coach and then he turned out to be a great person so that was a blind one I could have gone there and just picked up cones or. Just, I, I, mm-hmm. I didn't know what was going to happen. Right,
0: right. That one That's just great.
1: worked out wonderfully. Mm-hmm. And then I was luck- fortunate enough to get several offers after, after Barry. And then I'm in a bit more of a position where you can be like, okay, like who do, who do you want to work for? What's the best fit? Um, I had an ex-partner at the time who was, some of those decisions were based on, ish. So mm-hmm. that, that plays a factor. Um, but yeah, that played a bigger role. In terms of when, you, when you're when interviewing them. Because I was always scared. Right. I was scared that I was going to go and work for someone and hate it.
0: Right. So what what made you choose Scene Hall? Uh,
1: Coach Lindbergh, Coach Mateo, first of all. Mm-hmm. Again, like, I could just tell what kind of people they were. So when you, I see, when you get... Right. Yeah, so I, I heard that, or
0: I heard the beginning of it. Um, and so now, like... Once you get over to the states and you experience that college, was your did you have the goal to end up at Division One, knowing that it's the highest level and you know you're you're dealing with the the most talented players at per, per se?
1: Yeah, I will say that the twenty seventeen Charleston team's the best team I've seen in college, except maybe Georgetown last mm-hmm. year. Um, again, just different caveats, different rules in D two, different ages, different pathways, different timelines. Right. Um, right. But yeah, I guess I so. am quite ambitious. Uh, I got here. You know, it flew me up, right? I remember I remember the way the, uh, the job opportunity came up. The assistant, Vic, at the time, had decided that he wanted to go in a different direction. And Coach Lindbergh called me, and he said that he had a list of three people. I'm high on the list. He wants to fly me up for an interview. And so I was going to Honduras with Scott, on, and uh, Emmett Rutowski was the head coach of Stetson now, uh, on a recruiting trip, and he waited for me, and I got back, and I fl- and he finally flew up, and I remember being, I remember being in the air, looking out, and just thinking like, how cool is this? Like I've been here for like sixteen, seventeen months, and this program's flying me to their university because they want to hire me as a as a co- as an assistant coach. Like it was mm-hmm. one of those moments that put puts things a lot into perspective, um, and then. Again, so I used to work for Challenger with Mark, and I did a camp in West Orange in 2011. Mm-hmm. And I stayed in touch with a family, Jay and Ansafi Whitehead, and their two children, Tristan and Margot, who are in college now. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't when I met them. Right. I messaged them when I when I had the interview, and I was like, oh, I'm coming up, I'm pretty certain it's near you. This is eight years later. we near there. you. <laughs> and, they were, and we stayed in touch the whole time. And Ansafi was like, I'll pick you up from the airport, wow. We went and had dinner at Arturos, which is a pizza place right by mm. me, uh, we're at the same place we had dinner eight years before, and then he took then they took me to the interview, and I just felt at home instantly because they were, they wanted me to live with them for a month or- wow yeah it was it was very cool, and the it was I was kind of blown away by the facilities, obviously the mm. basketball teams amazing it's such a such a such a special thing to to watch the basketball team play
0: so what now what has been you know a consistent challenge and just in each team you know what where you know let's say the message that you're trying to get across what is that consistent challenge for you um at each different program different egos in terms of recruiting no um we can go recruiting but even just like in terms of just team building and you know your coaching philosophies that you've had to come up with over the years as a as a staff or in different staffs you know what is the consistent message that you want to get across to each team
1: i mean off the field is be a good person right like that's what you recruit that's where you spend some of your headaches dealing with the ones that aren't great um so to that it's kind of like a who are you and no one's watching kind of mentality i remember when i went to barry Uh, First thing I did was I went and spoke to the athletic trainer, strength and conditioning coach, looked at the players' reports in class, the media team, all of that stuff. And some of the feedback wasn't great. Little, little, nothing major, little, little things Mm -hmm. here and there, maybe not paying attention in class, maybe, which is a major thing. But like in terms of the (laughs) grade. Right. um, And I remember thinking that was like so important so important and hammered them the whole year about it and at the end of it to hear how positively like the athletic trainer spoke of them or like kian or bk strength and conditioning coach spoke about them that was actually the thing i was most proud of at that program in that year was who they turned out to be as a team in terms of how they were perceived um but it's different it's very different and it's the same it comes into recruiting too so at charleston you're fighting Division One versus Division Two, right? You're fighting that standard. Mm-hmm. Division Charleston probably beat ninety nine percent of Division One. pro wow. uh, they're that good, right? But it's in it's in Charleston, West Virginia. So, which I like, that works for me. But if if, right. if you want the city or if you want the beach, then and that's more important to you, then we're not for you. And and that's yeah. what Strats pitched to me, and I echoed that, right? Then, so when you're recruiting in child you're like, "Listen, we're good." Like some teams finish playing in November. Like we don't finish until December. Like that's that's. If you want to keep playing in a professional environment, all those kind of things, and work with coaching stuff, like this is for you. You go down to Barry. Hey, have you seen our field? We want the best <laughs> fields in the country. Like, right. do you like the sunshine? Because it's suns. It's pretty sunny here a lot, right? Like <laughs> different kind of message, and that's obviously. Mm-hmm. You, your strengths. Now they can pitch that they're very good at winning. Seton Hall, do you want to be nine miles from New York City, one of the best basketball programs in the country, and we'll say maybe that one of the top two conferences in the country? Like, you just, you change. And because of that, the players you get are different, right? So right. that's where it's you're different with a different culture. Our head coach is Swedish, so we have four or five Scandinavian players. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a couple of English players, and that, that pattern happens a lot because I know the English market.
0: Right. Look, so, so how do you now? How do you kind of bring those different cultures together? Because you know, Division Two, II, Division Three, you have 95 percent of the guys are all going to be American. Yeah. And you know, they all they all speak the same way. They most of them, I'm sure, grew up playing the same style and same way. But you know, as you get to these higher levels, you have different cultures, different playing styles. So how do you, you know, how do you, how can you get them the whole team to be
1: one? Again, good people, right? Like, if they're good people, it doesn't really matter where you're from, right? If you don't have an ego, I mean, like, we have a lad who was at Manchester United for 10 years at Seton Hall. He could have an attitude on him if he wanted to. He could have an ego. I remember him trying to... I remember him... We were doing his official visit and he couldn't find his transcripts, right? And we needed them to fly him in. And he Mm -hmm. said to me, plainly, he was... Train with the first team... I didn't think I was gonna need these ever again. Wow. Fair point, fair point. But he right. in spring, loves football, one of the most popular people on the team, doesn't complain, works hard, it's just a joy. And mm-hmm. I think that what we had at Barry as well as our best players, per se, were truly great people. And they led by example, and that's very important. Like, mm-hmm. it's like similar to when you put a captain's armband on someone. Right that person needs to reflect you and hopefully your best players do too because if your best players are humble and they're, they're in the party line, no one else can really say anything.
0: Right. Yeah, no, it's so important too, especially, I was just actually brought on the podcast after the episode today, actually. um, He's my buddy who I played with, but he's somebody that just led by example. Like one of those humble guys I know never said anything and he just led by example, ended up leading us to a conference championship. But, you know, I think that message too to the guys that, the captain is saying is so important because, you know, I've coached on teams where the captain was trying to relay that message, but it just wasn't the same that, you know, the coach was saying. And so when you when you're getting two different messages, it's not a good recipe for success. So I I really like that point that you mentioned. So yeah,
1: for sure. And 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 yeah, the different nationalities. part. yeah, I mean, this may be a con- controversial one, but at Barry, we didn't we made them speak English. We had a lot of South Americans. Um, right. Spanish is Spanish, almost the first language in Miami, right? It's pretty close. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I'd say half of our team spoke Spanish. Wow. And we had uh, we had an Argentinian. Again, interesting story, side side note, right? There's a player mm-hmm. called Martin Lozano, right? And I did some of the scouts for Charleston, and we, were, we played post in the, uh, the Elite Eight game. And number 26, Martin Lozano, long-haired Argentinian, got injured. In the Sweet 16 game, I believe, or maybe the round of 32. He was all conference, so you right. didn't play. I still remember him, watched the games. My second day at Barry, we're on Wales. And there's this guy filming it. And I was like, Are you Martin Lozano from LIU Post, number 20? <laughs> like just, and he looked at me and he was like, Yeah, I am. Like, I kind of shocked. And he had one year of eligibility left. So he's, he's, and he played for Coach Lindbergh at post right, so obviously call him, get a character' reference, gray, sign him and he, uh, yeah, he played for us that year at Barry, and uh, just unreal little kind of little stories like that, right?
0: Yeah, so the how important was making everybody speak English?
1: It was important for me because sometimes in coaching sessions, some of the boys would say stuff to each other like we had a Spanish forward mm-hmm. and he would say something and sometimes they'd forget in the heat of the moment and I'd be like what did you just say to the right back and he'd say something and I'd be like that's why we speak English because I don't want we don't want him to do that right and why you go through it like again you should you always need to be able to explain why right otherwise you're in trouble yeah um, it was important because we wanted to be part of it. And, and we'd split them up, right? Like I little manipulative things. Like I knew the English boys, like the, the four English lads would like to sit together. So I'd be like, I'd pull Parks aside and I'd be like, can you go sit over there? And like little things like that. We had a no phone policy. Mm. Um, actually, Nick, I actually nicked this from Charleston. They had a dartboard of justice. And uh, I, we changed it to a dice of justice at Barry. But basically it's like, a, if you're a minute late or anything like that, like you mm. get your phone out or you, you speak right. during the times that you should, when you're with your team, you'd have to throw a dart or roll the dice. Different mini little things like sing a song or uh, a song, do the washing up or something. But if you hit a bullseye or if you rolled double sixes, you got out. And I'm telling you, the celebrations when someone hit bullseye or had a double six, was it, was it was awesome, but it was like a light way Cause it's not a big deal like if you're Spanish, big right. you spanish that's hey okay, like those three guys next you don't speak spanish so we need to get on the same page in terms of what language we're going to speak right and that's actually mm. not a problem at seating forward so we we don't have to say that ever because also the scandinavians english is so good it's, it's right fine to be perfectly honest so yeah it's not really a concern
0: that, was that a sir Alex thing because I, I do remember that when when I was playing we had a bunch of we had a bunch of South Americans as well and we were kind of going on a losing streak and there and our coach was like I don't know if it was from our captain who was a big Manchester United fan but you know everyone had to speak English from that point on um, and then we ended up you know winning but you know I think that too like you mentioned is just getting everybody on the same page yeah and you know I, I think a lot of players don't understand the importance of that but you know at least if obviously you as a good coach are able to relay that message and why it's important. And, you know, once the players can understand that, I think that will in turn build a winning culture. But, you know, we, we're going to get kicked off soon, I think with this Instagram live, but a couple more questions. So what do you look for in a,
1: when you guys are choosing a captain? They have to tick as many boxes as possible, right? Like in an ideal world, they're your best player. They're a great right. player. They reflect the program. They're a good student they're liked by the team and respected by the team right do you get all of those it's rare um but is he respected has to be respected by the team right and also like they're not they're not a mouth they're not just a mouthpiece right you don't mm-hmm. just say to them you need to get this done go repeat it they also need to be savvy in terms of being able to sometimes get a message, like maybe that maybe the head coach or the assistant doesn't say it right, and and the head, right. like and if I say it like that, they're not going to love it, and then they change it. So they need to have smarts. Like our captain is is like that now. Our, uh, he's going to his sophomore year, mm-hmm. young captain with a young team, and uh, yeah, he's good at that. Very well respected. Served in the Israeli army, um, and he yeah. He, Quite, you're quite proud to call that person your captain. What it really comes down to is, like, is that person a reflection of your program?
0: Right. I love that. I love that. Um, so I'll finish with one last question. And you're now at your third school, and I guess you're going on your second year at Seen Hall, but third school in four years. What do you want each player that you've coached to – or what would you want them to say about you if somebody asked you, what coach Ali Simmons like?
1: But I cared. But I, made, I, mm-hmm. like, I mean ideally in you know, an ideal in a in a cheesy way, and I said this to every group I've ever been a part of since I was a head coach when I was twenty-three. I want to be a part of helping them become a better player, become a better person, and become a better team. Now like I can't do those things on my own. But that's what I want for 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 everyone that we work with, every team, every player. I mean, I still stay in touch with all the lads from like from the academy player stuff. We do all the time, all the time. Mm-hmm. Like it's and and the, the interesting group we had there, and it's a sidetrack, but they they didn't. Most of them didn't go in the pro ranks. Most of them played non-league and then played right. pro later. So there was a guy called called Alfie Mawson. plays for Fulham. Used to play for Swansea as a centre back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 21, used to be one of Jack Costello's teammates. And Jack trained him in the off season. And Alfie went to England, he played for England on the 21s. I think they lost to Germany on penalties on Tuesday in in Europe somewhere. Right. On Thursday, he was with us for two days straight, wanting to work for two hours every day to get back in shape, to have a quick couple of days holiday with his missus before going straight back into pre-season. And his work ethic, and when you look at his path, he played in the Conference League Two, League One, Champ, Prem, mm. and you can tell he's hungry. Like it's the same, right. with, same with Abu and Sam and, and Max, who plays for Wolves now. They and they want to get better. Like that's that's where it links in, and it makes it makes us look very good because they go on and play pro. But it's more to do with the fact that they're just so hungry to get better, and they're hungry. right? Which is amazing. Yeah, it's a cool. It's, it's yeah. a very cool to be
0: part of. Yeah, for sure. Well, I appreciate you taking the time well, and coming you. on. And um, you know, for those out there, go follow the academy. Oh, I'm sure you do. But um, wish Ali the best of luck. We'll say that uh, next year at CNL. So, Ali, thank you.
1: Thank you, just good to speak to you. Take yes, care. sir. You too.